0: The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Relationships, and Ken Adams of Impact Ministries led a track called The Making of a Disciple Making Church. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at Discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code PODCAST to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. Now here's today's track session.
1: The title of this talk is uh, is Becoming uh, the Making of a Disciple-Making Pastor. And so uh, uh, what I can share with you really, I got an outline, but probably most of this just will come out of my heart. And uh, Because here's what I can tell you. Is it for the last... I, I, I don't want it to sound like I'm... At, I'm in the process of learning what it means to be a disciple-making pastor. Okay? So I have not arrived at all. But I am. But I am, I am learning. I'm growing. And here's what I will tell you. Man, I, I, I more than anything else in my, in my being, man, I want to lead a church that's making disciples. So I want to be a disciple-making pastor, man. You know, and so uh, uh, I know a lot of pastors that uh, that lead their church, but not necessarily with that in mind, not necessarily with that mission in mind. And so, uh, so that that really is uh, that really is my heartbeat. That's really what I'm seeking to do. And so, so really and truly, anything that I can share with you today is just coming out of. Quite honestly, thirty years of experience, man. I'm just too stubborn to do anything else, man, and to try it any other way. And so I just keep, I just keep pushing it, man. I just keep pushing it. And so uh, here's the deal: everybody knows that the mission of the church clearly is to what? It's to make disciples, right? So if the mission of the church is to make disciple, then here's my premise: every church ought to be led by a disciple-making pastor. Every church ought to be led by a disciple-making pastor. But here's the reality. They're not. They're really not. In fact, I I, I have to be honest with you. I I know more churches that are not being led by disciple-making pastors than are. And yet, here's the reality. It is, in most cases, in most cases, not all, but in most cases, it's not because they don't want to. It's because they don't know how to. And here's the problem. It's because... Uh, we're not learning that in the models that we've grown up in and we're not learning that in seminary. I thank God for my seminary education. I thank God for Southwestern. I mean, I had a great experience there and I had some great professors and I learned, but I want to tell you something. Anything that I'm teaching you today about disciple making, I didn't learn any of it. I didn't learn any of it in the church that I grew up in and I grew up in a great Bible believing church, man. I really did, man. I had a mama that was an organist and a daddy that was a deacon, and so I, I got drugged to church every time it was open, man. And yet I, I knew a lot about I knew a lot about helping people get saved, and I knew a lot about baptizing people, but I didn't know anything about discipling people. Never had anybody disciple me in my life, and so um, so I, I'm thankful for my seminary education, but the reality is is that my seminary education did not in any way equip me or train me to be a pastor that's leading a church to accomplish the mission that we've been called to fulfill. Now, how backwards is that, right? I mean, that, that really is a messed up system when you think about it. And so, uh, so uh, really what happened to me is this. This is just, again, really it's just my journey and kind of my story because I'm trying to become this disciple-making pastor that I'm going to share with you about. But uh, but this is what happened. So I got, I left Southwestern and uh, uh, loaded up the truck and headed to Noonan, Georgia. And so I landed there and, and I was a, a church planner, a brand new church in a growing area. And I didn't know any, I didn't have a clue what to do. And so literally I started going to every conference and every seminar and I started reading every book, and I started listening to every cassette tape I could get my hands on. <laughs> and so, that's how long, that's how long ago. You didn't have a thousand podcasts on your phone, man, that you could listen. It's incredible what we have now, isn't it? And so, uh, so I started going to everything I could. And, 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 and here's what happened. I went to a lot of really good uh, conferences, church conferences, a lot of church growth conferences. Because there weren't very many disciple-making conferences available, I didn't even know of any, and there was a uh, there was a a promise keeper. remember when promise keeper was big? There was a promise keeper clergy conference that was going to be done in Atlanta, and uh, on the. Uh, on the cusp of that, right before that, uh, there was an organization that was coming into town that was doing a one-day seminar called a Growing a Healthy Church Conference. And I thought, well, I'm trying to grow a church and trying to grow healthy, and I think I need to go. And I went to this conference led by a guy named Dan Spader. And uh, his ministry is called Sun Life Ministries. And I sat there for a day listening to him unpack the life of Christ, and how Jesus went about the process of making disciples. Well, I had been discipling some guys as best I knew how. Have you ever had one of those times where you hear somebody say something that you've been doing, but you didn't know how to say it, and all of a sudden, they put words to what you're doing or what you want to do, and I was like, oh my gosh, this this is it. This is actually it. This is what I've been doing with this group of teenagers in my basement that I had no idea what I was doing. And I, I just knew Jesus made disciples, and if he did, that's probably something we ought to do, right? And so that's literally how I started. And so uh, he, I sat there, and uh, Spader started talking about all these things that I'd just never heard anybody say before. And what was really cool is that he didn't make them up. He just found them in the Bible. He just found them in the Gospels. Well, that, that, that seminar really sort of set me free. And quite honestly, is, uh, is it, it gave me a... It, it, here's what it did. It just pointed me to Jesus. That's all it did. It's called Sun Life Ministry because it was all about the son's life. And it just pointed... And can I just tell you something? You'll drive yourself crazy if you jump around from church to church to church to church trying to figure out which model works best. You only need one model. You only need one model, and His name's Jesus. And I'm telling you, 2,000 years later, His model works as good today as it did 2,000 years ago. It is timeless, and it is transcendent, and it's transferable. And it will work today as good as it did 2,000 years ago. And if you've been a part of most of these sessions, I'm guessing, I know what we've talked about here, everything we've done is talked about has been based on that model. The model that Jesus gave us 2,000 years ago. And so, Uh, So what I want to share with you today is really um, the things that we've been learning from his model and uh, as well as having hammered it out and fleshed it out in a laboratory for the last 30 years. And so uh, I kind of would say my session today is kind of like the farmer's insurance commercial. You ever seen that commercial on the farmer's insurance? When the guy says, he says something, he says, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. Is that right? And so, uh, so I, I, feel like that that's kind of what my session is, is that, uh, I, I, all I know is a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two happen. And so, uh, so I'm going to give you, uh, honestly, here's what I'm going to do. And they're, they're kind of, uh, they're in order, but they're not necessarily specifically to this or, I'm gonna give you nine things. I'm gonna give you nine things that, uh, uh, that I have, am uh, I- in the process of learning that I believe need to be true of every pastor that is a disciple-making pastor. Here's the first one. It's very simple. Number one, a disciple-making pastor leads toward mission. A disciple-making pastor leads toward mission. So think about this. Disciple-making pastors understand that their job is to lead the church to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's crazy. Is that you would think, would you not think that that should be a given? But here's the problem. A, a lot of people don't know what the mission is. And B, a lot of pastors get so sidetracked and get so distracted on so many other things that they forget that their number one job is to simply point the church and everybody in the church toward the mission of Jesus Christ. It, it is not an automatic. It is not a given. And, and so here's what we have. We've got a lot of really good leaders and we got a lot of really good pastors. They're just not leading in the right direction. I won't even necessarily... i do not even going to... I will say they're leading sometimes in the wrong direction, but I don't even know that it's intentional. You know, I, I look back and just from my own experience, man, I, I, I will tell you, I've been I've been in a number, probably, I, I don't know, since I was a kid, I've been in, I don't know, l- less than a dozen, but I've been in a dozen different churches through seminary, through, you know, moving and things like that. And I'll tell you this, I cannot think of, I cannot think of, listen to this, I don't know one pastor in my my lineage so to speak and what I've I don't know one pastor that had a group of men or men and women that he was meeting with on a regular basis pouring his life into them in a way that they were turn around and reproducing. I can't tell you one. And they were not bad guys. They were good guys. They were godly men. Most of these guys. A few of them had a, had a mistake or two and you know messed a few things up. But, but for the most part and, and, and so here's what that tells me is it, if in just in my experience and just in my short lifetime in my ministry time if most of the pastors that I know were not leading toward mission then I think this is this is a bigger problem wouldn't you agree? a lot of pastors that are not really leading towards mission they're they're not necessarily intentionally doing it but they're just in, unintentionally doing that in fact let me give you a little great let me give you a great illustration you're going you're to gonna want to use this one okay you're going to want to use this one. maybe even this weekend I always say this if you go to a conference and you don't get some really good illustrations that you can use pretty soon, or some good jokes or video clips, it ain't worth going to, right? So <laughs> you're going to use this one, I promise you. So here's what I want you to do. So, uh, in fact, let me, let me do something real quick. Let me make sure. I want to I wanna do something. I ain't going to tell you what I'm doing here, but I'm, uh, I'm going to do something real quick. So, uh, so I want to figure Okay, yeah. So here's what I want you to do. So I want everybody to close your eyes. Trust me, I ain't, I ain't gonna do anything funny to you. I ain't putting anything in your face or nothing. All right, so here's what I'm gonna do. Just close your eyes. Come on, close your eyes, man. All right, it feels like a youth group, doesn't it? And so, uh, so here's what I want you to do. Just with your eyes closed, I want you to point north. Just point north. right. <laughs> Just point north, and then keep your hand where you're pointing it, and open your eyes. All right. Alright, so open your eyes Alright, so now here's the problem this guy, He's going like this right here Alright, so let me uh, Here's what I did, I pull up my compass Right. So guess where north is North is that way all right? North is that way Now, check out what we just did So, you know what was happening in the room Right, everybody's pointing In a different direction The leader's job is to do what Get everybody in the same direction Everybody get in the same direction. That, that, that is the number one task of a disciple making pastor. Lead toward what? Mission. Mission. Lead north. Lead everybody in the right direction. I tell you, the right direction is what? Make disciples and make disciples. So you got to lead everybody. That's the number one job. Um, here's my life verse. My favorite verse in the Bible is John 17 4. Listen to this. Um, might, it might be worded a little different depending on your translation, but the NIV version says this. It says, Jesus, you know what happens in John 17, the high priestly prayer, right? So it's one of his last prayers that he prays. And this is what he's praying. He's praying to his father, and he says, He says, at the end of his life, he says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Okay, now think about this. Think about it. This is crazy. Because when we think, a lot of times, when we think about bringing God great glory, we think of what? Raising your hands, worship service, right? That's what we think a lot of times. That's what glorifies God? No, 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 no. Let me tell you the thing that glorifies God better than anything else. When you make a disciple, that makes a disciple. When you make a disciple, that makes a disciple. God gets great glory. And so here's what Jesus said. He said, I brought you glory by doing what? By completing the work. Now that raises a big question, right? What is the work? Okay, let me ask you this. So if the last thing you told your disciples to do was to do what? Go make disciples. I'm guessing that the work is to make disciples that make disciples. I mean, am I right? Pretty good guess anyway, right? So here's what I'm thinking. So I think, and we talked about this earlier, Jesus really had two things He came to do. He came to make redemption possible, but he came to start a movement to pass the message of redemption on to every single person in every nation in every generation. And so here's the deal, is that if you don't get anything else, if you're a pastor, if you're a pastor, your number one job, your number one job, believe it or not, is not to be at every single hospital visit that has to be done. You go to some of them, But that's not your number one job. Your number one job is not, you you need to preach good, but your number one job is not to preach. Your number one job is to lead the church to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. And there are so many pastors that just think that that one task on Sunday morning is the all-consuming job or making sure that everybody gets visited. No, 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 no. That's not fulfilling. Those are good things. Those are good things, but that does not necessarily fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ. So I go to the hospital. In fact, I just went to the hospital um, this Monday. I was there. I was at the hospital. Was uh, it Emory University in downtown Atlanta? I was there Monday, and and so I'm I'm doing every bit of that, but that is not the number one thing that I do. Number one thing that I do is to point people. To the mission. If you cannot, listen to this, at least this is where I am. If I can't look back like Jesus at the end of my life and say, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work that you've called me, you've given me to do, that I've been busy, but I haven't necessarily been productive. And so you may be an active Christian or active pastor. But not necessarily a productive pastor. Number one, lead toward what? Lead toward the mission. You got to point the direction. If you're, listen, I, I will tell you, I've seen this happen so many times. If the senior pastor is not pointing the direction, the mission of the church toward disciple making, the best of lay leaders will not get it done. The, the pastor has to be on board. We were talking about that earlier, weren't we? Pastor's got to be on board. Number two, here it is. Number two, the second thing, is to lead yourself first. Lead yourself first. So here's what, I, here's what I've discovered. Is that every disciple-making pastor understands the importance of what we call self-leadership. Self-leadership. I cannot tell you how long it took me. It was years, probably four or five years before I really understood that if I didn't lead me, nobody else was going to do it. If I didn't lead me, nobody else was going to do it. If I didn't sit down and figure out where my north was, nobody else on our elder team, nobody else on our staff, nobody nobody else is going to point that for me. Nobody else is going to lead my life for me. I've got to exercise self-leadership. I've got to lead myself first. I I, I remember when I first got there, uh, when I first got there, you know, I'd been in seminary well, when you're in seminary, guess what happens? You get a schedule and you go to classes and they tell you what to study. And they tell you what homework. They tell you when to take a test. And so i had been doing that for like three and a half years. And then all of a sudden I go to start a church and I'm out there and I don't have anybody telling me anything or telling me what it, and I'm just going like crazy and I'm going everywhere. And, I'm going, and you know what's crazy is that I'm, I'm meeting with people. I'm going to breakfast with people. I'm going to lunch with people, going to dinner with people. And here's what I'm doing. I am right off the... I didn't even realize what was happening to me. I was neglecting my time alone with God. I was neglecting my family. I was neglecting my body, taking care of my body. I was a mess. Not... and, and, And here's what... I was a mess in the name of Jesus Christ. I was trying to grow a church and I was killing myself in the process. And so you got to... You've got to lead yourself first. You can't take somebody. You can't. you got to crawl over, man. And so. Uh,
0: <laughs>
1: you're good. You can't take somebody where you've never been, right? You really can't. And so you've got to be able to do that. John Maxwell said this one time. This is a good statement. He says, leadership is who you are before it is what you do. And so uh, that's self-leadership. Leadership is who you are. Uh, Paul said it like this, and you, you guys know 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, Follow my example as I follow Christ. And so what happens is if you're not modeling, if you're not modeling what it means to be a disciple and to build disciples, how can you expect anybody else to? If you're not modeling and you're not setting the example and you're not leading yourself first of what it means to be a disciple and to build disciples, how can you expect anybody else to do that so if you're if you've been in our session if you're at men so we we started our whole thing talking about that the goal is to help untrained people become fully trained disciples that's what jesus said in luke 6:40 so so here's the deal so when we identify what a fully trained disciple is we we have some words that we use they are just seven words that we used to call we call it an M7 disciple so here's the thing so if I ask people in our church one of those words we believe that disciples ought to be messengers would you agree with that that a disciple ought to be sharing their faith ought to be a messenger of the gospel right you agree with that so it would be if I'm asking my church to become messengers M7 disciples that are messengers and I'm not ever even attempting to share my faith what would you call that Huh? that would be inauthentic wouldn't it that would be hypocrisy wouldn't it and, and so, so self leadership if you're going to be a disciple making church you've got to you've got to lead yourself to be and to do what you're to, you've got to do what Paul said follow, you've got to be able to say follow my example not because you're getting it perfect because you never will get it perfect but you've at least got to be making what progress right got to at least be making progress. So, um, so, so I'll I tell you the story about when I, uh, when I first started planting our church and I was, I was really killing myself, I was really driving myself crazy. So I'll, I'll never forget, I went, to a, uh, <laughs> I went to a conference, I guess it was a two or three years into it, and I went to a conference at, uh, at Willow Creek, all right? I went to their pastor, pastor's conference up there. And so this is what I was thinking. So if I thought my job, this is really what I thought. I thought my job was to grow a big church. So I figured if you're going to grow a big church, then go see who the, how they did it at the biggest churches around, right? So I'd been to Saddleback and now I was going to Willow Creek. I mean, I was taking it all in, man. And so I go to Willow Creek and I walk, I walk, I'm sitting in this auditorium and there's 4,000 people in there, leaders in there. And Hobbles comes out on stage. I will never forget. I've been to a lot of conferences up there. I've never seen another one started this way. No joke. This is how he starts. He walks out on the stage. He sits on a stool. He's got his Bible in his hand. And he says, uh, he says uh, welcome to a pastor's conference here at Willa We're glad you're here. This is back in the early 90s, right? And he gets out there and he sits on this stool and he says, I just want you all to know we didn't set out to grow a big church. Do you know what I'm thinking at that point? You're full of it, man. Come on. I'm sitting there thinking, no way. Because you've got more people here to hear how you did it than anybody in here has gotten their church back there. Yeah. And I thought, you're full of it. And then I never forget what he said next. He said, we didn't set out to grow a big church. We just set out to grow big people. And I'll be honest with you. Now, there's, there's a lot of things you can say about that now, which I don't want to get into. But I'll tell you this. For the next three days, he convinced me that that was true. And this is literally what happened. I would sit in these conferences, these seminars, and of course they had this music and these dramas, and all of them were about pastors and how bad they were and all this stuff. (laughs) I sat there, and I'm not kidding you. I was the only one there. I didn't have a staff or anything. I was sitting there, and I would listen to these, and it was so convicting. And I literally was sitting there, tears coming out of my eyes, man. I just sat there going, oh, Lord, oh, please forgive me. I'm screwing this up so bad. And then I would go back to my hotel room, call my wife. I was, I'm so sorry. I'm screwing this up. I'm messing up our marriage. I'm messing up our... And, I would, and then I would start journaling all this stuff. So I left there, and we were meeting, our church was meeting in a school. And we had about 30. People. We had a Sunday night service. <laughs> we killed that thing. We got rid of it. We had a Sunday night service, and uh, <laughs> some of y'all get set free from that someday. <laughs> and so, so we're I got I get a circle. I had about 30 people show up on Sunday, and and I wasn't even there that morning. I flew back that day, and so I said, guys, I gotta make I got I got a confession to make. Well, they just knew I'd had a <laughs> i would had had an affair in Chicago. <laughs> they were all like, woo. <laughs> And I said, I got a confession to make. I said, here's what I've learned in the last three days. I have been leading you. I've been leading you in the wrong direction. I've been leading them that way. You know why? Because I hadn't been leading myself first. And I said, I've been, I've, been, I've been going crazy. I've been sacrificing my own walk with God. I've been sacrificing my poor little wife here. I've been dragging her around town. Been dragging her out every night of the week. I haven't been spending any time with her. I said, I haven't been taking care of my body. I was, I was, I was, I was a football I was, I was a, I ran a fitness, I was into all that work and, I, and, and now I was letting my my temple, my, my, I didn't care about my temple. I, I was, you know why? Because I was going to eat with everybody. I was just going out like crazy. I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't being, I wasn't being a disciple. I wasn't pouring my life into anybody. I was trying to just draw a crowd on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I said, I am going to repent. And I said, if you still want me as your pastor, here's what I promise to do. I promise to lead you to be a church. I won't, I, here's why I'm, I'm not going to try to grow our church. I'm going to try to grow you. I'm going to try to help you be a big person. And here's what I'm going to do. Is I'm going to let God take care of the church. And, um, and that's still what I'm doing, man, 30 years later. And I ain't figured it out exactly, but I'm still swinging at it, man. I'm still trying to do that. And um, anyway, so lead yourself first. Number three, uh, you don't only lead toward mission, lead yourself first. Lead the organization. Lead the organization. Now, some of this is going to sound some familiar, but you'll see some distinctives here. So here's what a disciple-making pastor does. They see their number one job as leading the organization to accomplish the mission. Now, this is going to be a little different, but here's what happens. In Ephesians chapter 4, um, verses 11 and 12, Paul tells us that pastors and teachers are there to do what? To equip the saints to do what? The work of the ministry. Now, here's the question what is the work of the ministry? Oh, clearly it's folding bulletins, isn't it? <laughs> clearly the work of the ministry is folding bulletins and taking care of children and cutting the grass and all that kind of stuff. No, 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 no. This is where we mess up, right? Because the work of the ministry is the same thing. I, I don't, I'm a player coach. That's what I am. I'm a player coach. I'm, I'm, I'm coaching them in the same game that I'm, that I'm playing in. And so so the work of ministry is to involve and to teach and to equip the saints in your church to do the work of disciple-making. That's, that's what it means to lead the organization. And so here's what will happen. You won't lead the organization to, be making, to doing the work of ministry of making disciples if you don't know where the mission is and if you're not leading yourself first. Does that make sense? So all these build on each other. And so you, you, your job is to lead the organization. Jesus said it like this. Just as the Father has sent me, so I am what? Send you. Send you. Go do what Jesus did. It's just that simple. Just go what Jesus did. So you say, well, what does that really look like? Well, if, you, if, you, if you're just now joining us, um, I'm, let, me, let me show you what you do. Is it my job, and those of you who have been here, you're gonna, this is all going to come together for you. My job is to point people, keep the target clear, fully trained disciples, make sure we work the strategy, untrained to fully trained, make sure that we create environments where disciples are being made, small group environments, and then develop leaders. So, so my job is to lead the process. Does that make sense? My job is to lead that process. And if I'm doing that, then we will accomplish the mission that we set out doing. So I've got to be able to, uh, to know what that is. And I've got to be able to know how to do that. So here's the problem that I see. So the problem that I see is, is that it's really, really hard to lead an organization toward a mission if you don't know what that mission is and you don't know that process. Here's where it became very, very clear to me that this was a problem. I was, um, I'd i been at our church for, I don't know, maybe, I don't know exactly how long, five, six years, something like that. And I had an opportunity to go teach a seminary class at a place called Luther Rice Seminary. And interesting thing is, is that, uh, this guy right here, Mike, was actually in that class. That's how we met. We met in a class. The class was called...
0: Discipleship Training.
1: Discipleship Training. So it was about discipleship in a local church. And so I will never forget this. So I go into this class. There's about 30, I think there were actually 32 people in that class, if I remember correctly. There's about 32 people in that class. And this is what I did on the very first day. It's a class on discipleship. So what better place to start than the Great Commission, right? So this is what I said. I asked, I said, everybody get out a piece of paper. And I said, I want everybody here to write down the one imperative the one command in the Great Commission. I want you to write it down on a piece of paper. And so everybody writes something down. And then I just started it in the back and I said, all right, tell me what you wrote down. And then somebody said, to go. And then somebody else said, to baptize. And somebody else said, to teach. And somebody else said, to worship God. And somebody else said, to feed the poor. And somebody else said, to reach the lost. And somebody else said, to whatever, 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 whatever. And I was like, oh, my goodness. Two people. Two people. I kept them for a long time. I kept the papers for a long time. Two people. Literally wrote down what? Y'all graduated. <laughs> now here's a question a class full of seminary students represents what the future a class full of seminary students represents the future so if the, if the next generation of church leaders pastors, worship leaders, staff members, whatever if the next generation don't know what the mission is are we in good shape or bad shape man we're in trouble man we're in trouble I don't know that it's getting any better. Praise God for conferences like this, right? Where you're hearing it, man. You're hearing it. And so uh, so, so here's what I'm saying. Is that you've got to lead the organization to accomplish the mission that Christ has given us. So here we go. Lead toward mission. Lead yourself first. Lead the organization. And this is going to sound like the rest, but it's a little different. Number four, lead the way. Lead the way. You say, "What? what how is that different? Here's how. Disciple-making pastors understand the importance of this simple adage. Here it is. You've heard it before. Speed of the leader equals what? Speed of the team. Speed of the leader equals speed of the team. Here's what I'm telling you. Church is never going to go any farther or any faster than who? Than you. It's not. Church never going to go any farther or any faster than the senior pastor lead pastor so that's why this whole this whole seminar session here is called the making of a disciple making pastor so if you're in that role here's what you got to understand is that your job as the pastor is to set the pace for the rest of the church your job is to set the pace you know when uh uh, when whenever you run, anybody run in here? Anybody run? Road races, distance. Uh, okay. So if you run, you always get faster if you have what? If you have pace setter. If you have somebody to run alongside of you. You see, I run. But I run. By, I, run uh, I run three days a week. I call myself a 5K specialist. And so uh, I just go out. I'm really a plotter, not a runner. And uh, I just plod around the track three days a week. And here's the deal. I've been doing this for years. And guess, how, guess what I run? I run 10-minute miles. And I run, I run, I've been running 10-minute miles for years. The only way, there's only one way I'm going to get any faster. And guess what that is? To run with somebody who runs 8-minute miles or 9-minute miles. It'll kill me. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> I say every year I say, "This year, man, I'm gonna run eight-minute miles." I don't want to run eight-minute miles, man. Now, I it, really and truly, it, it it's it's not bad that I'm doing that. But but if I want to get better, I got to get somebody to what pace me. So here's the responsibility of a lead pastor, of a senior pastor, of a disciple-making pastor. Disciple-making pastor set the pace for everybody else. You know, you say, "Well, how do you do that? How do you do that?" So I wish you were in that last session, because the last session I just explained how you do that. You do that by becoming a Jeremiah 315 leader. You say, what is a Jeremiah 315 leader? Well, we just spent a whole hour talking about it, so I can't give you that. But in Jeremiah, God said, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. So here's what that means. So if I'm going to be setting the pace, then what that means is, is that I've got to be a shepherd who has a heart after God and who has the knowledge and the understanding to lead, and I set that pace for everybody else in our church. In other words, is that they they live, a leader, a disciple-making pastor, they live what they want everybody else to be doing. And I want everybody else, I want every other leader in our church to know what it means to be a shepherd after God's own heart that leads with knowledge and understanding. I had a, uh, I had a guy in our church that was a... I'm going to give you a good example of how, how this can happen, how it can't happen. I had a guy in my church that went through uh, our discipleship process with me personally. He was in my group for a while. He, um, he moved from the south side of Atlanta over to the north side of Atlanta and took a job... Uh, actually became a manager of a printing company and ended up going to another church. He you know, moved a good two hours or so from where we live. So he moves up there. And so he called me one day and he said, Hey, I'm going to this church and we just got a brand new discipleship pastor and I'd love to bring him down and introduce you to him and let him, have, if we can go to lunch, he can hear how you do discipleship. <laughs> I said, Yeah, that'd be great. Come on now. So he comes down. We're going to lunch. And he says, So, uh, so tell me how you guys are doing discipleship how are you doing discipleship and so I started telling him this story this this is the story so um, I was meeting with a group of guys three guys uh, this is like year two in our church year three in our church 20 something years ago 28 26 years ago 27 years ago something like that so I'm meeting with this group of guys in a chick-fil-a dwarf house is what they used to call it a, chi- it's, a it's a bigger restaurant than a regular chick-fil-a so I'm eating in this Chick-fil-A restaurant every Friday morning at 6 o'clock. And so uh, at the end of a the year, these three guys said, are we getting back in on January? Are we starting back up in January? I said, guys, look. I said, listen, I love you. And I said, I love our Bible study, and I love our accountability, and I love our prayer time, and I love our share time. I said, but listen, I said, I prefer to, uh, to wait till God wakes up, you know, it's six, 6 o'clock too early for me. And, uh, I would prefer for God to be here. And uh, No, I told him this. I said, look. I said, I've got great Bible study in my life. i got great accountability. i got plenty of fellowship and i got plenty of prayer. I said, be honest with you. I don't really need to do this next year. I said, it's nothing personal. I love you guys. We're having a great time. I just don't need to be busy. But I said, this. I made a huge mistake. Huge mistake. I said, but here's what we'll do. I said, if you go get three people, and you go get three people, and you go get three people, I'll get three people, and we'll do it again. Guess what they did? They did, man. They got three people. I said, crap, man. I should have shut up, man. I should have just left it at that, man. So we ended up going from four guys to 12 guys. And in six months, we were over 20-something guys. And so we actually had to leave that restaurant, go to another restaurant, we filled that. They had a little bank. It was a Shoney's, a Shoney's breakfast bar. And because we wanted to be able to eat and eat quick. So we did that. And then we had, we, we we blew out that little room. So we went to our church, brought in biscuits and coffee. And we had over 70 guys showing up in a year or two. We had 70 guys showing up. We started a Thursday night version and a Sunday morning. We had 200 something guys all coming for this impact discipleship that we were doing, it was incredible. It was just growing like crazy. Now, there's another story to that. We, we successfully messed that up. And so, uh, but we're starting that back and we're getting back on that. we got 70 guys showing up on Thursday morning now, or 60 guys. But here's what happened. I'm telling this guy this whole story. I'm, I'm, I'm having to go way around the corner here, but, but I'm telling this guy this whole story. And I just said, this is what we're doing. This is how we've been doing it. So he's like, man, thank you, man. That was so good. I enjoyed that and all this. And we got back from lunch and he left. So the next day he sends him an email. And he says, hey, man, thank you for lunch. I appreciate that. I enjoyed that. He said, I got a confession to make. And I said, what's that? Or he, I didn't say that. He emailed me. And I thought, what's that? He says, so he said, it really convicted me because I have also, he just moved from Wisconsin to Georgia. And he said, um, back in my t- hometown, or where I was pastoring, he said, I've also been meeting with a group of guys every week. He said, we've been meeting in a restaurant. We've been doing life together, Bible study together, prayer together, share together, all this kind of stuff. And he said, here's the difference. He said, I've been meeting, I think it was Friday morning. I think it was six o'clock. I think it was the same thing. He said, here's the difference. He said, I've been meeting with the same group of guys for 17 years, for 17 years. And he said, "In hearing what you said about Reproducing and multiplying, and starting new groups. He said, "I got to do something different." And he said, "I'm going to start multiplying my life in other guys from here on out." And you know, here's the thing that hit me: is that uh, is you know here's uh, here's an example that if the if the pastor doesn't set the pace, guess what? Nobody else is going nobody else is speed of the leader, speed of the team. And so if you're if you're making disciples that make disciples, it, you say, Ken, oh, wait a minute, man, that's a band of brothers. That's doing life together. I say, no problem, as long as you do the other two. If you want to meet with the same group of guys for 17 years, have at it. But do not meet together for 17 years and not find a time in your life to multiply in somebody else. Don't do that. If Jesus had done that, guess what? We wouldn't be having this conference today. Nobody would be talking about it. So, leaders, leaders lead the way. Number five is that leaders lead leaders. Leaders lead leaders. Here's what disciple-making pastors know is that they must be able to not just lead, they have to lead other leaders. Now, here's what I've discovered about a lot of pastors, is I've worked with a lot of them. There's two different types of pastors. Some pastors are doers, and some pastors are leaders. How many of you know there's a big difference there? A pastor that's a doer, guess what they do? All the visitation... All the ministry, all the discipleship, all the baptisms, all—they do it all. Guess why? Because they're the doer. They have not transitioned to what? To the leader. You cannot be a disciple-making pastor if you're not willing to give it away. You say, but they can't do it as good as you. As good as me? No, they probably can't. They probably can do better than you. But you'll never know if you keep doing it all. So right now I got a group of guys that I'm meeting with and, and I've got two guys that, uh, that I'm taking through some leadership training and, and I've already told them, they already know. Coming, we just started in August and in next August, they're going to start two new groups, man. They're going to be turned loose. And you say, well, are they going to be, are they, can they do it? Are they going to be, you know, they're, they're going to do fine. They're going to do fine. And I've already started them. In fact, I wasn't there Thursday morning because I was here. So one of them led Thursday morning. One of them led the Thursday before that. So so I'm not going to do it all. I'm going to lead leaders. And I'm pouring into those guys and I'm meeting with those guys. The only way to be a movement is the multiplication of leaders, letting other leaders lead. You remember the story in Exodus, right? When Jethro's doing all the work, he's doing all the work. He's a doer. Jethro, I mean, Moses, did I say, what did it say? It said Jethro, yeah. So, so Moses, <laughs> you agree? We <laughs> agree. Okay. So, so Moses is a great leader, it, but, he's, but he's a doer, okay? He's a doer until Jethro comes along and he says, no, here's what you got to do. you got to divide the people up into what? He says, what? Find what? Find find qualified people, first of all. And then he says, divide them up into what? Thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Right? And he says, let them help you, what? Lead the people. Let them help you lead the people. And so, Jesus made disciples, and then he launched people out to lead. And this is the same thing Timothy did. We used this verse earlier in our seminar. And we talked about how, you know, Paul says to Timothy, he says, The things that you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what do you do? You select well, like Jesus did. You select the right people, you know, faithful, available, teachable, you know, all that stuff. Select well, but then develop well. Invest in them. This is how you lead leaders. You select well, then you invest, but then you have to mobilize well. You have to turn them loose. So for a lot of us, the reason that we don't lead leaders is because we have a failure to launch. We never turn anybody loose. We never, we never say it's time. If you wait, listen to this. So if Jesus had let, he, who set the agenda for when he was going to leave? He did. His father did, actually, but he did. Now, guess what? He did lead them to a point where he knew they were ready to lead the movement. And he could turn them loose. And and Jesus led them to a point where they were ready to go, and in fact, one of the coolest verses in the whole Bible is in um, is in Luke chapter ten, verse twenty one, where it says this. This is interesting. It says that after, remember, remember, Luke chapter nine. What does Jesus do? He sends out the he sends out the twelve. Then in Luke chapter ten, he sends out what? He sends out the seventy, right? And and then they all come back, and what do they do? They debrief, right? Remember that? And then the Bible says something in verse 21. It says, And Jesus, full of joy in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to this. Three different times in the Gospels, the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. Three different times Jesus Christ, Jesus wept. But only one time in all the Gospels to say Jesus was full of joy. Why do you think he was full of joy? He just sent out the 70 and they come back and why do you think he's full of joy? Are you doing? what he's getting Because he knows it's going to work. He knows the mission's going to work. It's going to succeed. He knows that they're going to go out and do the same thing. You ever notice this? I wrote a series of blogs. Um, I said, Jesus and his three disciples. Peter, James, and John. Then I did a blog called Jesus and his 12 disciples. Then I did a, a blog called Jesus and his 70 disciples. Some translations say 72. I said, Jesus and 120 disciples in the upper room. Jesus and his 3,000 disciples. So, you know, we always just think Jesus and what? The 12 disciples. You know, he had several different layers of disciples. And, and so uh, Jesus understood what it meant to be a leader of leaders. They lead leaders. So check this out. So why is Jesus full of joy? Because he understands that they'll get it. So here's a perfect example. Anybody taught a child how to ride a bike? Isn't that one of the most exciting experiences in the whole world? Not <laughs> in fact here's what happened so, so I take my I, I, I had three, three little rugrats I had they're, they're grown now I taught all three of them how to ride a bike I've done my part man I really did so we live in a cul-de-sac we live in Georgia it's humid in Georgia it's hot in Georgia August is a terrible month to teach a child how to ride a bike and I'm out there in the middle of the afternoon I got this little guy he says daddy 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 I want to ride my bike like a big boy And I said, well, buddy, you can do it all you want to. He says, I gotta take my training wheels off. I said, what do you want to do that for? I said, you don't want to do that. I said, so much easier with your training wheels on. No, daddy, daddy, I gotta ride a bike. I gotta ride. I said, no, 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 no. You just need to stay like you are. Don't grow, don't expand, don't 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 develop. No, 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 daddy, I wanna ride a bike. I said, okay, buddy. So we take the training wheels off, we came out there in the cul-de-sac. And I push him. I say, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to push you. I'm going to turn you loose. You pedal like crazy. And so I start pushing that rascal. I turn him loose. He's pedaling like crazy. Guess what happens? (laughs) He falls right over. I said, dude, you ain't never going to get it. You're sorry. You're no good. You ain't never ride a bike. Just quit while you're ahead. No, I didn't do that. I put him back up. I push him across that cul-de-sac. I said, you pedal, 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 pedal. I let go. Guess what happened? Fell right over. I pick him back up. I said, "All right, dude, we're gonna try. It. This is it. If you can't get it now. You're done." Forty-seven times later,
0: <laughs>
1: I this woman sitting on the porch going, "Don't quit. Don't give up." I said, "You come down here and push him, woman. I'm sick and tired of doing this, you know." And then I push him across there. I said, "Pedal, pedal, pedal, pedal." He starts pedaling. I let go, and guess what happens? He started riding around the cul-de-sac. Then <laughs> but then next time he got up, guess what? I didn't even push him. He ran, he, and so guess what I'm doing right now? I'm stripping sweat, standing in the cul-de-sac, and I'm going, yes, yes. And so here's what has happened. So I know that bike riding will continue because I did my part to teach my child how to ride a bike He will teach his child how to ride a bike. He will teach his child how to ride a bike. And that kid will teach his child. I'll be dead and gone. They won't even remember my name. But I helped them learn how to ride a bike. And so guess what? Mm -hmm. I had great joy. Great joy. In knowing that I was able to do that. It was hard work. But it was worth it. What
0: was that reference you used by...
1: Uh, that's uh, Luke 10 21 Luke 10 21 so leaders lead others uh, I think this is number six here's the next thing is it leaders lead with clarity leaders lead with clarity here's what that means disciple making pastors Jeanette how much time I got 15, 15 minutes 18? Okay, okay, okay. All right, so leaders lead with clarity. So here's what that means. Disciple-making pastors understand that their job, this is part of your job, is to keep the church from losing focus. Keep the church from losing focus. Here's what a lack of clarity does. You have a lack of clarity when you have fuzziness in your vision, right? Isn't that right? And so you get all off track and you start going... Man, what are we doing, and why are we doing this, and where are we at? And so you, here's what your job is. You've got to keep bringing it back to clarity. You keep saying, no, 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 no. Why are we here? Make disciples. How do we do it? Fully trained to untrained. How do we do that? We do it in environments. What do we do? We raise up leaders with heart after God. you, you got to keep making it clear. Keep making it clear. Keep making it clear. I think Jesus did that in the very first call of his disciples. He said this, follow me and I will what? And I will make you fishers of men. You've heard that a time or two this week. So here's what he's saying. I want you to be something so that you can do what? So you can do something. I want you to follow me. I'm going to make you something so that you can do something. And so uh, so what a leader does is that a leader, he keeps bringing clarity. He keeps bringing clarity. And so um, I, I think, about, uh, think about what happens when we... Uh, when we lose our clarity, in fact, you may, maybe you've heard a statement before. I love this. Somebody says, "When you forget your why, you lose your way." When you forget your why, you lose your way. And so here's what, a, here's what a, a disciple-making pastor does is that he keeps bringing people back to the why, and he keeps bringing them back to the how, and he keeps bringing them back to to the what. He keeps bring, that's that's what clarity is. You know, sometimes. I, I guess even to a fault. Man, I talk about making disciples. So I've, I, I had a guy leave our church one time <laughs> and, and he was like, uh, I was like, Why? He said, I'm so sick and tired of hearing about being and building disciples. I can't take it anymore. And I said, well, dude, don't get mad at me. You get mad at Jesus. I said, all I'm doing is telling you the great commandment and the great commission is what we ought to be. I didn't, I, you know what? It didn't bother me. In fact, you know what I thought? We're better off without you. Because if you're not on, if you're not, I didn't come up with that. I mean, if it was my, if it was my vision, and 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 you didn't like my vision, well, I might take that personally. But I'm not. I I I can't get I can't get upset. I mean, you know, if if I'm pointing you to Jesus and I'm just bringing clarity to what He said, and you don't like that, yeah. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah.
1: I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to stop bringing clarity to that. I'm going to keep pointing to that. You know, think of it like this. You know, um, when I was uh, uh, when I was in fourth grade or third grade, something like that, so uh, I couldn't see the board. I couldn't see. I've, I was sitting in there. I wouldn't be able to see that. And so um, I wasn't doing so hot in class. And so they found out, you know, I didn't want to wear glasses. They found out that I'd, my, my, my mom took me to the eye doctor, put me in an in a, a exam room, set me behind this machine, put a thing in front of me, and he says, put some lenses in front of me, he says, is this better, 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 is this better? anybody had that happen, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, so, so they so they give me glasses, right, so, I didn't want to wear the glasses, so I just moved up to the front, so I could read the boards, you know, and I go for, I don't know, for a few years, till I get into high school, and then, uh, in high school, I want to play football, and I can't see, so I decide I'm going to get contacts, so I go back. I'd been back to the doctor a few times, but I go back to the doctor. He puts me in a chair again. Guess what he says? Is this better? Is this better? Is this better? Is this better? He's he the same thing. And so and he su- subscribes me, uh, prescribes me uh, contact lenses. So I start wearing contacts. So I wear contacts for a while. And then I end up pastoring his church. And and uh, and, and I've been there for a while. And somebody says, man, you ought to go get laser surgery done on your, done on your eyes. I thought, oh, what is it? That'd be cool. So I got a special deal worked out, and I got to go to a doctor. And he put me in a chair, and he says, is, is, "Is this better? Is this better? Is this better? Is this better? Is this better?" And then they did lasers. Let me tell you, that's the coolest thing you ever had, man. Wake up in the middle of the night and see the clock. <laughs> go swimming and be able to see other people's legs in the pool. I mean, that's that's a that's a that's an exciting thing when you've been blind your whole life. And you know what's crazy? Is that all these times I've had. All these times I've been to the eye doctor and he's checked my vision and every single time he's only corrected my vision. Never once did he say, we're going to get you a new set of, set of eyeballs. Never once did he say, we're going to give you a, listen to this. Never once did he say, we're going to give you new vision. He just said, we're going to do what? Correct your old vision. So listen to me. I don't hardly ever say God's given me a vision for our church because you only need one vision. It's the vision that Jesus gave it 2,000 years ago. I might have some strategic ideas and I might have some plans and some dreams, some goals even. But listen, if anybody tells you they got a new vision, you don't need it. You need the vision that came from the visionary. And you need the vision of that Jesus gave to make disciples. And so, you know what my job is? My job is not to come up with a vision. <laughs> my job is to keep the vision, what? Oh, yeah. Focused. Awesome. Clear. That's all my job is. And you know what? It takes an awful lot of pressure off of me. Because yeah. when I realize I don't have to come up with a vision, whoo, all I got to do is take you back to the old vision.
0: So
1: good. Old vision's a pretty good one, isn't it? In fact, you know, isn't that, isn't that, listen, it, I think you said this earlier. Isn't that exactly like Satan? Isn't that exactly like the enemy? To get us distracted from the main vision, from the real vision, from the original vision, by getting us onto everything that's the latest and greatest coming down the pipe? You need to do this. You need to do that. You need to do this. You need to do that. You know what you really need to do? You need to do what he told you to do 2,000 years ago. Now, does it look different? Sure it does. Does it work different? Maybe a little bit. Because we got technology, we got. We're not, you know, in the same setup. But listen, I I said this a minute ago. It's so true. The vision of Jesus Christ, here's the reason it works. Because it's timeless. Because it's transcendent. It transcends culture. And it's transferable. Um, I've done some training with some pastors down in Haiti and in India. And I've done this in both places. I was in Haiti a few years ago. And so I said this. I said, how many of you here know how to teach math in America, in my country. Well, nobody raised their hand. And I said, well, how many of you know how to teach math in Haiti? And nobody raised their hand. I said, you're kidding me. I said, you don't know how to teach math in Haiti? Nobody were afraid at that point, you know. I said, I know how to teach math in both. I said, I know how to teach math in Haiti and in North America. And they're all looking at me like, really? And I said, "All right, so let me ask something. I said, so, uh, so, if you're going to teach math in Haiti, what do you start with? Anybody got a guess? What do you start with? If you're going to teach math in Haiti. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Where'd you go to college? <laughs> Sorry, this is okay. So, you start with the number system, right? One, two, three, four, five. So, you start with the numbers, right? Okay. So, then, after you learn the numbers, what's the second thing you learn? Addition, right? One plus one equals two. Am I going too fast for y'all? So... So, <laughs> so you go addition, then you do what? Subtraction, then you learn what? Multiplication, multiplication then you learn division. division. They've always done it this way, right? Mm-hmm. Then you learn fractions, then you learn decimals, then you learn pre-algebra, algebra, geometry, Trigeno- trigonometry, calculus. 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 You're way over my head now, man, <laughs> right? And so I ask all these guys in Haiti, say, and they're all like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I say, how long have they have been teaching it that way? They said they've been, since they've been teaching math. I said, guess what? You not only know how to teach it in Haiti, you know how to teach it in North America. You know how to teach it in the United States. And then when I was in India, I said the same thing. Because guess what? Because the principles of math, teaching math, are what? The Timeless. And guess what? You teach it the same way in the Caribbean that you do in North America as you do in Asia, as you do in Europe. You teach it the same way. The principles of making disciples work today as good as they did 2,000 years ago. They work in North America as good as they did in Jerusalem. So good, Jesus didn't give you something to do that was only going to be limited to the first century Jerusalem. It works today. The problem is not division. The problem is we don't work the plan. We don't work division. And, and so... It, it will work if you work it. That's the next thing I got here, I think. No, no. That's, that's, the next thing is after, after uh, clarity, which is focus, is that leaders finish. Leaders finish. So a disciple-making pastor knows that a good start without a strong finish, quite honestly, is irrelevant. It really is. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, he says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I think this is interesting. Who is he writing this to? His disciple. (laughs) He's writing this to his disciple. And he's saying, you know what? Uh, I have done what I've been called to do. Here's what I think he would say. I have brought God great glory by completing the work that he gave me to do. That's what I think he would say. And so so what keeps us from finishing? I'll tell you what keeps you from finishing. There's three things. We, We mentioned them actually somewhat in our last session but there's about three things that keep leaders from finishing the first one is distraction it's just distraction in fact you know what Um, anybody ever heard of the Peachtree Road Race anybody ever heard of the Peachtree Road Race it's a a big race it is actually listen to this it is the world's largest 10k it runs 4th of July every year in the city of Atlanta i run it for about 20 years in a row well, I missed a few years, but I run about 20 times. It runs right down Peachtree Street, 70,000 runners. It's huge. It's huge. And so I run this, and so here's what happens. So you know what 10K is, right? 6.25 miles. So I get started running, and guess what? There's a Starbucks right over here <coughs> calling my name, caramel macchiato for Ken. <laughs> caramel macchiato for Ken. And then there's a Cheesecake Factory right over here. And it's saying cheesecake for Ken. And then there's, right off the street here, just down the hill, there's a Dunkin' Donuts. I'm sorry, Krispy Kreme. Mm -hmm. Krispy Kreme. You know what it's saying? Hot now. Uh Flash. Hot now. Hot now right here. And I'm going, ooh. And all these things are calling me to what? Stop. 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 And I just want to get the t-shirt. That's all I want to get. I want to get to the finish line. So I want to get the t-shirt. And you know what? That's what happens to leaders sometimes, right? We get distracted. Sometimes we get discouraged. We get discouraged. Man, i never forget one time. I was sitting in a sitting in a staff retreat. I was in a cabin up in North Georgia. And I had a bunch of our key leaders around. And we were talking about how we become a disciple church. And one of the guys that had been with me for a really long time, really bought in, he just said, but you know, man, he says, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. (laughs) I was like, first of all, I I didn't say it, but I want to say this. Then how the heck did you get here? (laughs) How, How did you get here? It obviously, maybe it didn't work the way it's supposed to, but you wouldn't have known about Christ if somebody didn't take it from Jesus and get it to you. So don't tell me it don't work. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't believe in it anymore, but don't tell me it don't work because it did work or you wouldn't know about it. And that just, that just sucked the life out of me. It just made me want to say, ah, oh, man, if if even these guys don't believe, if these guys aren't with me, then just Satan will do that to you, man. He'll try to discourage you. And then the last thing is just disobedience, man. Sometimes we just we just don't, we just don't stay with, we just we just decide not to do it. You know, I love what... I love what Francis Chan said. Y'all probably, probably heard this before. He says, he says when I tell my 13-year-old daughter to clean her room, what do you think I mean? What do you think he means? Clean your room. He says, I don't mean go memorize clean your room. <laughs> I don't mean go write books about cleaning your room. I don't mean sing songs about cleaning your I don't mean have conferences about cleaning your room. I literally mean what? Clean your room, right? So when Jesus said, go make disciples, he didn't mean go have forums about making disciples. He didn't say, go put banners on your church about making disciples. Don't go write curriculum about making disciples. Literally, go make disciples. And so you got to be careful because if we're not obedient to what he's called us to do, we can make it sound really good in a lot of other ways, but we won't be obedient. We won't finish well. i got to hurry. Let me give you two more real quick. You need to lead with a plan. Lead with a plan. Disciple-making pastors know that you plan your work and you work your plan. I love what Dallas Willard said. Listen to this. He says, this is so simple for me. I like simple. I'm a simple guy. He says this, if the mission of the church is making disciples, there's only two questions you have to ask. First one is this, uh, what is our plan for making disciples? And number two, is our plan working? <laughs> now think about, it. let me say that again, because I, I wrote it down when I heard it. So Dallas Willard said, if the mission of the church is making disciples, only two questions matter. Number one, what is our plan for making disciples? Number two, is our plan working? Pretty simple, isn't it? What is our plan? and is it working and so uh, so Jesus had a plan Mike talked about it earlier I'll hit it again he appointed twelve whom he named apostles so that they might be what with him so that he might what send them so here's his plan in two words with him that's it with him with him so that he could send them that's it that's his plan so here's the deal. Is it you got to work up you got to have a plan and you got to work your plan. Disciple making pastors have a plan. Man, I take a week every summer and I sit down and I say what is my plan for the next year? And I sit down and I ruthlessly evaluate what's working, what's not working, what I need to do. I've got just just now uh, I've just finished a, a group of twenty something, twenty uh, year old guys that I meet with. Five guys I meet with. I've got groups in my life. I have a plan every year. I decide who I'm going to invest in. I've been investing in a group of pastors, taking them through 3:15. I'm going to have a plan every year. I'm going to have a plan who I'm going to. I have a group of guys that I'm going to pour into every year. I'm going to do that till I die. I'm pouring into a group of guys every year till I die. So you got to have a plan. What's your plan? I'm just that's my plan. What is your plan? You need to have a plan. Every year, for how you're going to live this out, how you're going to lead yourself, how you're going to lead the organization, how you're going to keep clarity. All this stuff comes together. So, lead with a plan. You know, it's funny. I, uh, I kind of been into working out for a long time. I love working out. And, um, and so, uh, am I about done? So, uh, so, years ago, I came across this book about weightlifting and I read it and, and I just started doing it. And then I started reading all this other stuff. And, and you know what happened? Is that I read so much stuff I got confused, and I was like, I quit work. I almost quit working out. I was like, it was I wasn't getting any results anymore. I was doing better when I didn't know anything. I'm serious, but I was just doing basic sets and reps. So here's what I would tell you: be careful. There's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of books you can read, a lot of tapes, you can, a lot of podcasts you can listen to, a lot of stuff you can listen to. Be careful. Just do this. Just keep doing what Jesus did. Just keep doing what Jesus did, but do it. And then here's the last thing. Let's finish with this, and that is lead with passion. Lead with passion. You know what's funny? Of course, I'm passion's king. There's all this stuff out there. You've probably seen this stuff where people, you know, all these things like culture each strategy for lunch and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Passion trumps everything. Passion trumps. You can have horrible culture, no strategy, no Vision of, Let me tell you something. If you're passionate, you'll run through that wall right there. Passion trumps everything, man. I don't know how to give somebody passion. I really don't. I wish I did. If I, if I could put it in a pill, I'd pass it out in a congregation. I don't know how to do it, but I know this. I know this. When you get somebody that's passionate, man, you can't stop them. So I say this, be a leader with passion. Let me tell you what passion is. It comes from a Latin word, or the Latin word means to suffer, so I think passion is a burden. Passion is something that's burden. It's, that, it's kind of that discontentedness. You can't, here's what I say passion is. Passion is not something you can just do. Passion is something you must do. It's something you can't not do. That's what passion is. Man, I'm telling you. You can sit there, you can convince me, you, 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 you can try your best to convince me, that me pouring my life into a group of guys, it's going to pour. You can tell me it won't work. You can tell me it's wrong. You can tell me. I'm going to do it anyway. Because <laughs> it's not something I'm just going to do because I don't have any. I, it, it, it is not the great suggestion, man. It's a great commandment. And I'm going to do it. And, I'm, and, you know, Jesus called us to passion. He really did. And I, uh, I'll just leave you with this one little story. And then I'm I Okay. All right, so uh, you wouldn't tell me if I wasn't, would you? And so, uh, so let me lead you this one little story. By the way, if we can serve you or help you, uh, let us know. Fill out one of these cards, and we'll come come to you. Pick up all this stuff, if you will. I don't want to take it home. These are things that I wrote that are free. Just grab any of that stuff over there. I don't want to carry any of that home, so take it all with you. And so, uh, uh, so here's what happened. So, um, so. I had this guy call me one time. He was a pastor of a church in our area. And he said, hey, I'm doing a paper at seminary on discipleship. And I hear your church doing discipleship. Can I come interview you? I said, absolutely. Come on up. He comes in. He's doing me at my office. And so he's asking me all these questions. He's doing a little interview on me and all this kind of stuff. It was fine. And so when it was over with, Holy Spirit just spoke to me and said, ask him how he's doing. And I said, so let me ask you something, man. I said, how are you doing at making disciples? He said, well, I got this class and I'm really busy, and my wife's doing this, and my kids are this, and I, I, I got Wednesday night service, I got Sunday night service, I got all and I said, I you ain't doing it, are you? Well, I'm really busy, and I really got all this stuff going on, I really got this. I said, okay, I said, let me ask something, I said, you see, I said, you see this right here, we're sitting in my study, and we got, I got, I got all these cassette albums <laughs> and DVD albums <laughs> up here of sermons that I've been doing for 20-something years, I said, you see all these things up here, all these what are those? He says, they look like sermon series. I said, yeah. I said, those are 20 years worth of sermon series. I said, how, much, how many hours do you think that represents? He said, wow, thousands. I said, well, if I spend 10, 15 hours a week on a sermon, and I said, and that's 20-something years worth of sermons. I said, that's a, that's a lot of hours of preparation, right? And I said, so what's going to happen to all those sermons one month after I'm dead and gone? He said, they're going to throw them in the trash? I said, no. No, they're not going to throw them in the trash. They're going to give them to my wife. Right? They're going to put them in a box and give them to my wife. What's my wife going to do with them? Throw
0: them in the trash. (laughs) Exactly right.
1: <laughs> you know what she's going to do? She's going to put them in a the basement. She's going to stick them in a the basement. She ain't going to listen to them. <laughs> my kids are going to go in. Because I'm telling you, my kids are not going to listen to those things. They're not going to watch those things. They're going to sit in the basement until she dies, and then their kids are going to throw them in the trash. They're going to throw them in the dumpster. And I said, so thousands of hours. I said, but listen to this. I said, the whole time I've been working on these sermons, I said, every week I've been taking an hour, an hour and a half, And I've been meeting with a handful of guys or gals and guys. And I said, I've been pouring into them, pouring into them. And I said, what's going to happen after I'm dead and gone? If I've made at least one of them that will multiply another disciple, then that investment is going to live on until Jesus Christ comes back. I don't know how you don't do that. And you know what? To his credit, here's what happened. Five, literally five years later, he shows back up and meets with a guy that was our small group pastor at the time and says, can I get some of your material? I'm going to start making disciples. (laughs) Isn't that cool? And so I got to give him, I gave him a hard, I mean, I I beat on him bad, man. (laughs) But he came back. So I'm going to leave you the same way I did last time. So whatever you do, man, do not, don't do this. Don't come to this conference and buy a bunch of books and get a bunch of Packets and don't do all. Don't listen to all these people on stage, and go home, and don't do what we're called to do. You go home. You got a couple months till 2019, and if everybody here, this is my, my the reason I was sent here, 2019. If everybody in this room, right here, just us, if we all go get four or five people, and we take one week, I mean one one meeting, one hour a week, and we meet with them all year long. And if next year we come back, and if I'm here, and you bring them with you, we won't have room for everybody in this boom right here. We won't have room for everybody. It's going to be like Shonies. We're going to bust out. But you know what? If you don't do it, guess what? You'll just come back in here and get you another packet of information, get you another l- little lanyard. That ain't what he's called us to do, man. So don't do that. Don't do that. I don't care what you are, I don't care if you're a pastor. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if, I don't care what you are. It doesn't matter. You're a Christian. You're a disciple. Make disciples. That's what He's called you to do. You got a couple months. Go find you four or five people. And in January, you start. If you need some literature to help you, we'll send it to you. We'll give it to you. I don't care. We'll give it to you. And if you say, you know, I want to use something. Well, use whatever you want to. Just do it.
0: Just do it. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. Have you signed up for the next National Disciple Making Forum? Every year, disciple makers from across the country and around the world gather together in one place to learn disciple making. Save your seat and register now. You can find a registration link at discipleship.org. At checkout, use promo code podcast to get 20% off your tickets. In addition to this podcast, you'll find many other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker.